Welcome to Open House, the podcast all about having those difficult conversations. Ever had to hash out funeral plans with your terminally ill mum? Or ask if your dad is really your dad? We have, and we want to chat all about it. Join me, Clancy, and me, Mel, as we open up and get into some nitty gritty details. Like therapy, but cheaper. This is Open House. Oh my god. I think my de- I'm either seeing things or there was a flash of lightning that just happened through our window. What, at the same time that we clapped? Yeah. We're magical. We are witches. I also totally forgot that was recording, but it's recording, so that's what Listeners, we're getting. it's so lovely to be occupying space in your ear holes today. Thank ear you for holes. having us. Thank you. Yes, we're here. We're living. We're at our table. We're at open house. Guess what, everyone? What? We went a little bit viral on uh, on the old Instagram yeah, this we week. We have to caveat with a little bit viral because not actual viral. No. Um, <laughs> so so I'm led to believe uh, our current our current um, clicks or like watches are. Uh, tell me if I'm right. Okay. Five thousand nine hundred and thirty one. You are so right. I don't. I like to pretend that I have a good working memory but I think it only works for like (laughs) selective things like viral Instagram videos and the numbers of that (laughs) um yeah that was exciting we made a reel so if you'd like to watch it you can follow us at our socials so um our Instagram is at open house pod we got a tiktok which I like to call the tick tick um it's also at open house pod and our twitter is at underscore open house pod do it. Last pod was taken. Cry. All right, that's the end of our parish notices. Here is our wonderful episode. Hello, everyone. Um, we are so excited to bring you the first episode of season two today. We are talking with Shah Bailey. Shah is an NLP practitioner, personal performance coach, and an education and inclusion officer for UK Black Pride. Thank you so much for being on the show. Welcome, Shaw Bailey. Two-person studio audience. Myself, but thank you. <laughs> yeah, the, the biggest applause. We can't wait to have. Um, we want. Uh, we want to do live shows one day. That's the dream. Oh yeah, that'd be great. So we can actually be in real life person with people. With a whole audience. Yeah, that's the dream. We want we want people to basically talk to us about things they find really hard in front of loads of people. Yeah, yeah. sounds like a, yeah, sounds great. <laughs> sounds like a really, a really wholesome, welcoming experience for people. That's what we're going for. <laughs> Not terrified at all. <laughs> no, 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 no. Well, hopefully this is less terrifying and somewhat more uh, welcoming than a giant panel of people. Totally. Shut how have you been in lockdown? How's life going? Do you know what? I've actually really enjoyed it. I kind of like it. Suits me. Suits being autistic. Very much happy to stay at home, not have to travel. Um, and I've really liked, from the work that I've been doing over lockdown, I've been really lucky and privileged to be able to work. And connecting with the people online has been like, wow, such an eye-opener. So it's been like, while everyone else has sort of stopped and focused on all the things that they can't do, I've been working and running these courses online and connecting with thousands of people who are focused on everything that they can do. And just being able for 
five or four hours of the day focus my energy on something amazing in the world which is you know human connection rather than everything else it's actually been really nice to just like slow down and exhale i love an exhale that's amazing oh. i feel lighter already yeah me too that's awesome have you have you had people from like all over the world joining your courses yeah so I joined a workshop last week and there were some people in New Zealand and Australia. So it was like day here and night there. And so it's just really lovely that all of those people have been able to connect through like one common struggle and through mm. trying to find ways to cope and ways to be better versions of themselves. They've connected with people who are on that journey. So it's just been really nice. That's amazing. That's so great. I um, I think I've said this before, but I always used to be a bit of a, oh, sort of social media and oh, sort of the internet and, and um, yeah, just a little bit wary of it. But it seems like in this situation, it's been like a really positive thing. Have you found that people are sort of really embracing this online world and being able to connect to more people? Yeah, I think it's sort of most like one of those like horrible situations in life where when you have no other option, you have to sort of make the best of the options that you do have. And, you know, we're really privileged to be in the society that we live in, that we can have access to the internet and talk to people. So I think everybody who has been able to shift their mindset a little bit and focus on the positives has, from the people I've spoken to, really enjoyed connecting and finding new ways to connect and connecting with new people, like Mansi. Like Mansi. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Oh wow. Wow, wow, wow. Our new our new nickname, CC, coined by Shaw Bailey, everyone. Nancy, we're doing it. Thank you very much. <laughs> You're so right though. I think one of the, you know, the best things to come out of lockdown for me has been um a cross-continental family Zoom quiz. Um, oh, so we had to time yeah. that so that it would work with people in Australia, because I'm from Australia originally. Um, and it was just so much hilarity with my grandma being like like not realizing she's on mute and I'm like reading out the questions like Muggy we can't hear you it's not it just brought me so much joy <laughs> oh I feel really bad because I've been avoiding zoom quizzes like the plague to be quite the honest and then... sorry that was so yeah, stagey it was thank you for <laughs> pitch though uh, oh, wow. did you did you train did you yes. Do you sing at all? <laughs> um, but yeah, I've been avoiding them and sort of like not really been going to the family ones. And then we did one for our podcast. We did like a Zoom <laughs> quiz that I invited my family to. And I was like, I am a terrible person. I'm so sorry, but maybe I'll come to some in the future. We'll see. I think so it's family, nice to sort listening. of play that role in your family though. You can be like dip in, dip out. It kind of makes them even want a little bit more. What? A temporary family member. Own it. <laughs> Own it. Monday to Wednesday. Thank you. Can't Welcome to my weekend. world. Like I've, I've, you know, I know I'm going to be the lesbian auntie at some point that just sort of dips in and out. So just own it. Embrace it. Dreams. Absolute dreams. That's brilliant. That's, that's my goals for, for life, to be fair. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I think, I don't know if I want to be a mum. I have to be honest, but I am down with being an auntie. Yeah. It's a yeah. hard one. You know, sometimes I, know. I see a little chunky baby leg and my ovaries talk to me and then sometimes <laughs> I hear a baby cry and I'm like oh stop it stop it you evil creature yeah, yeah. exactly but inside very... cool, so you know it's 50 50 who knows totally um Shah, can we do something uh super eggy but also super fun um 
Two Truths and a Lie. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So it's a it's a stagey theatre game that you play in a warm-up when you do, um, like, stage stuff or well, when you're sort of, like, getting to know people. And uh, it's called Two Truths and a Lie. So we're going to ask you to present us with two truths and a lie. It can be anything. And then we're going to aim to guess which one is which ones are true and which one is a lie based on our very brief conversation with you up until now. Ooh. I'm ready. I'm ready for You're my close-up. Yeah, ready? Of course, of course, of course, of course. Wow, that was so quick. Fail to prepare. Prepare to fail. <laughs> Something like that. Oh, okay, okay. All right, Charlotte, what are your two truths and one lie? My two truths and one lie are I am addicted to chocolate. I am terrified of cats. I have represented England at football. Football president. Oh, oh wow. Um, I think I'm gonna go with chocolate being the lie just because I think the cats and the and the football are like super out there. So I think, I don't know. I think you might. Was it that you hated cats or liked cats? Scared of cats. Scared of cats. Okay. To be fair, cats are fucking scary. No, I think you're not, I think you like cats. So I think cats is the lie. Oh, the tense, the tenseness, the suspense. I keep losing this game, Charlotte. The stakes are high. Stakes are high. <laughs> I keep winning, so it's fine for me. Well, today, it's the one who puts the antsy in Mancy. Clancy, you are the winner. Fuck yeah! Oh! I'm not addicted was... to chocolate, girl. I can't oh. be addicted to chocolate. Oh. Oh, yeah, it's true, I am terrified of cats. And I did, oh, I did represent England once at football. That's amazing. When you were, was that, how, how, did, how did that happen? Well, I sort of was addicted to football all throughout yes. my youth and sort of worked my way up and my school football team got to the county cup final at Lillishaw which is where the yes. England youth train and Hope Powell who was the England women's coach at the time came to watch and as a result selected some players to go and represent England. Of which you were one that's amazing. That's incredible do you still have like the tracksuit? Yeah I, just, oh. I, I the amount of football tops with like my name on or training tops with my initials on that I've just still kept because I have a hoarder. Do you still play now? I love a kickabout and I do every so often do a little bit of guest coaching. Oh, One of my oh. little cousins, um, she plays football. In fact, not she. I correct myself. They play football because they have come out as non-binary, and they are amazing. So I go and watch their team, and. I literally, my girlfriend comes to watch and my girlfriend, my dad and my sister just laugh at me because I'll have my arms behind my back and I'll just be like shouting from the side and they'll be like, calm down coach because I'll just be just so immersed in it because I just love it. <laughs> on that, Char, should we, should we move on to your first difficult conversation if you're, if you're ready to, to, to start? So I think it's really important for me um, to talk about coming out a lot of the work that I do is about being visible as a black and Indian lesbian autistic androgynous woman and when I searched for myself in the world it was really difficult for me to find 
reflections or people who reminded me of me, it was really difficult to find validation. So I think the first and most important difficult conversation that I had was when I came out to my mum. She was the first person that I came out to. And to this day, she's been my best friend. So she was the first person that I wanted to come out to. But it wasn't it wasn't an easy conversation. It it took a lot of planning. <laughs> mm. So I decided I was 16 at the time. And my mum worked in a town nearby called Warsaw. We got Warsaw <laughs> Town. Ah, yes, I know Warsaw. You know Warsaw? I do. <laughs> And I knew that she would be catching the bus home from work. So my plan was to go to the bus station and meet her and catch the bus back with her. Uh, so I thought we'll be outside of home, that no one can interrupt. Mm -hmm. just going to be me and her. So we got on the bus. I was terrified. You can imagine butterflies in my stomach. Mm -hmm. My throat had sort of seized. You know when you're about to cry and you get that lump? And like yes. yes. So I was like, and I said, Mum, because I hadn't committed to the full lesbian, I was going to do the, I'm going to say I'll buy first, just to uh, sort of uh, test. <laughs> Stepping stone. Yeah. There's still a little bit of hope there for a, a bit of straightness. Oh, God, anyway. <laughs> and I said, Mum, I like girls and I like boys. And she was silent. <laughs> I was like, I was quite religious at the time. So it's like, in my mind, like, please, God, help me. Jesus, Allah, Moses, anybody who might be listening. <laughs> Mother Mary. <laughs> she said, she took a deep breath and she said, it might take me some time but I want you to be able to be what you want to be. And I want us to still be able to be friends. Oh my God. <laughs> and you know what? That's... In all the planning that I'd done, not once did I think about my mum. Not once did I think, this woman who is my best friend and my idol, she's going to hear some news that might be challenging for her. It might be upsetting. It might make her feel something i only thought about how i was going to feel and what i was going to say and what i was going to do and i think what i learned through having that difficult conversation was that communication isn't about you or what you say it's about the message that you leave or how you leave the other person feeling and being able to intuitively or with compassion think about that before you engage in that communication and now like my sisters and my parents my friends we we have that when we communicate there's that forethought about each other and it really helped me to I feel like that was a real big growing point it really helped me to become the, the person that I am now Dad. Whoa. What a beautiful story, <laughs> so beautifully told. Um, what what was kind of like the impetus for, for you wanting to come out to your mum? I was, for a long time, I felt really like there was something wrong with me or 
Like I didn't want to like meet boys or I wasn't doing the things that my friends were doing. And at around that time, I started to realise that it wasn't that there was something wrong with me. It was just there was something different and that that different thing was was okay. I wasn't I wasn't scared to be who I was and I wanted my mum to know who I was because she was my best friend. And so I was sort of ready to sort of like maybe meet a couple of girls, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and do a couple of things. So I really wanted her to be able to be a part of that journey with me. I wanted to be able to share that with her. Yeah, I think it's um, interesting. I've listened to some sort of podcasts about, you know, people coming out and stuff. And um, I don't know sort of what your thoughts are on sort of coming out um, sort of in an abstract sense whereby you're not sort of presenting a person to somebody um, and and then that kind of version, because obviously you were you were 16, I, you know, it was more sort of a sense of you saying, um, oh, there's a potential that I want to meet some girls and, and that would be really cool. But I want you to know that this is this is me and this is a thing that I'm sharing with you about myself as opposed to going, um, oh, I'm, bring, I'm bringing this person home and they happen to be and they happen to be a girl. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that just because I've heard. Well. What was not a difficult conversation was when I came out to my dad because mm. my relationship with my dad was a lot different. So um, at the time, I was engaged. Not anymore. But at the time, I was engaged. So I got engaged and I text my dad saying, just got engaged. Her name is XYZ. Um, love you loads. And he just texts back straight away with, so happy for you, baby. Can't wait to meet her. And that was me. (laughs) That's so great. Um, And that was, you know, 10 years later after coming out to my Mm mum. So I think for me back then, it was about presenting this idea. But now that queerness is becoming something that's more accepted and talked about, I think it should be, you know, in an ideal world, I'd love for people to be safe enough to do that. But I think mm-hmm. I always say two things about coming out. Number one, come in before you come out. So figure it out with inside yourself before you start putting it on somebody else. And number two, don't come out if it's not safe. Safety first. There are still the re- reason I work with UK Black Pride is because there's still 70 countries where you can you know, die, be imprisoned, be beaten publicly for being gay. So, you know, if culturally it's not going to be safe for you, if your family are going to disown you or something's going to be negative, then, you know, look after yourself first and don't feel that you have to be this visible representation of, like, the rainbow because not everybody can. Yeah, that's super, super important. And, yeah, 100%. Yeah, I don't think there's any sort of right or wrong way of of doing it I kind of not kicked myself but kind of kicked myself for a really long time that it took me a really long time to sort of like figure it out for myself in my head and I was sort of just sort of dropping seeds here and there um and then I sort of got to you know the point that I'm at now that I'm you know very open and, and whatever and um proud and all of that but I you know, I was sort of like, oh, well, you know, why didn't you, you know, why didn't you get there sooner? And why weren't you constantly shouting from the rooftops and all of this and engaging with all of this stuff um, sooner? But it t- it takes time. And I think it's that point that you made about sort of coming in before you come out. And also there would have been things in my head, be that internalized homophobia or slight homophobia that was going on around me, whether those people meant it or not, or just in the general 
like sort of where I grew up and where I'm from, those things were still present. And whether it was not safe in terms of these countries that we're talking about that that it is a literal crime and terrible things happen or whether it's just not safe because you you don't you know you don't feel quite comfortable and there aren't like you say those negative things that are going on I think it's totally fine to take time um even if you're even if you are in a liberal world and 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 an open world it still is super difficult I think um yeah do you think working with UK Black Pride like you said, you found that talking to people, it's not always safe to come out. Have those stories been difficult stories to hear? Yeah, 100%. The, the most difficult stories I've heard are around, you know, genital mutilation. And, you know, I worked with a group called the Rainbow Sisters. Shout hey. out the Rainbow Sisters. They have a song. Hey. It's like this. We are the rainbows is so amazing but they're a support group for um african uh, queer women who have um had to flee their home country because they are at risk of you know death or public shame or prison and they have this beautiful support group where they meet up every week and they connect with each other and share stories and listening to them tell me their story and recognizing how much privilege I have and how much how much we take for granted is such an eye-opener and it really fuels you know the reason why everyone who works with UK Black Pride and um, does it as a volunteer you know this isn't something that we're out here trying to you know gain from it's about actually investing in the community and remembering that you know I always say we are all one and if my sisters there are hurting, then something that is within me, if it can heal them, then I have to give it to them. It's it's more than just like a job or a role. It's like it feels like a, a personal duty. Yeah, what a fantastic work. And um, we'll definitely include links to resources for UK Black Pride in the show notes for sure. Yes, and we'll link any any people that you shout out as well. We'll pop them the Rainbow Sisters song, YouTube, etc. <laughs> Yes, yes. <laughs> As covered by Shaw Bailey. Yeah, so I keep saying to myself, I'm going to stop singing out loud, but I can't oh. help it. I just get so full of joy. No, don't stop. Never stop. It's amazing. I'm kind of toned up. My, my afro sort of works as installation as well, so I can't hear it, so I'm <laughs> inflicting it on you all. Uh, uh, that's brilliant that's brilliant um Shah, i think well first is there anything you want to say on that subject of coming out that you feel we haven't covered because i definitely don't want to move on without feeling like you exhausted everything you want to let say yeah i think it's just important to always when we talk about coming out make a point for our, our siblings who can't come out and recognize that they are valid and they're worthy and their existence is just as queer and just as beautiful and just as special. Even if they can't celebrate it outwardly, we can always, you know, take a moment for those people and remember them and, and celebrate them, celebrate for them. So I'm celebrating all my queer siblings who haven't got the privileges that I have and haven't got the freedoms that I have and, you know, just dedicating a moment to commit to keep fighting for them. Yeah. And we will, we will keep fighting so that it's safe for people to be their true selves and hopefully we'll get there one day. I just feel like none of us are free until all of us are free. Exactly. 
So well said. So well so said. said. I'm coming up with um, alternatives for the word yes completely because we've realized whenever a guess is something remotely com- profound, I say yeah mm, completely. We've cut about 10 of them out of a previous episode and we're starting a drinking game. Do you so know what I'm mine is? Gonna- Absolutely. Huh? Absolutely. 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 Yeah. Because yeah. it's like, I want to show support that I'm like, yes, I hear you. I hear what you say. And, and I'm and I'm here with it, which both of those things do. But uh, when it's on, when it's on repeat, well, I mean, we've got a drinking game out of it now. So thanks, Clancy. It's great. Great, great. Yeah. But it's just, the problem is when you're listening to yourself back, you're like, I don't have any other affirmative words other than, yeah, completely. <laughs> completely. <laughs> So I'm trying, you know, a lovely story. Thank you so much for sharing. I'm really like trying. (laughs) Shah, what is your second uh, difficult conversation? My second difficult conversation, I'm going to stick with the theme of coming out. And this time it's about coming out in a different way to a different person. Um, I've been with my partner for a year now. And not too long before we met I'd recently invested in finding out more about myself and trying to understand who I was um, so I was diagnosed with autism and so trying to in fact not trying to actually having the conversation with my partner about autism how it impacts me what it means to me what my needs were I think it's always difficult to be vulnerable and to tell somebody that perhaps you're not as strong as they might have perceived. To the outside world, people see the things that I do, the activism work, they see me host events and speak publicly, they see me teaching in a classroom or um, leading a football field full of like five-year-olds and they they see this (laughs) confident woman and they see me being visible and they have this idea of the strength that I have or the idea of the kind of lifestyle that I might lead. Whereas in reality, being autistic has an impact on me daily. It impacts the things that I do, the way that I do them, the way that a person can interact with me physically, emotionally, intellectually, the way I understand things, the way that I think about things, the way that I walk, the way that I move, (laughs) the clothes that I wear, the spaces that I'm in, the people who I connect with. And so being able to be vulnerable and say, this is who I am and this is what you have sort of signed up for. But along with all of these great things that I'm sure you love about me, this is what I need. These are my vulnerabilities. These are the things that I can't cope with. These are the things that frighten me or are going to send me into a meltdown. And these are the things that I can't do. These are my limitations. And trying to, I guess in the world, we have this idea that we present ourselves to somebody and they get this finished version. But actually there's all these other pieces of ourselves that they have to, I guess the baggage that they have to collect. And it's just trying to understand whether that person's strong enough to pick up your baggage, whether they're compatible with your needs and whether or not they even thought for a second that you might need something that they couldn't even imagine you to need so yeah having those conversations with grace the lovely grace they were really difficult conversations because not because she didn't take them well just because i had to 
let go of my ego and let go of this idea of myself and put forward all of these things that maybe aren't the best. Mm, absolutely. Did, did <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> do, um, do you find that's an ongoing conversation of being like, these are my limitations today. They like these are new things that have arisen, or was it kind of like an active decision, even bef- like whilst you were dating in the early days, to go, okay, this might be your impression of me, and I need to rectify that. I need to be in bed by nine, please. Um, it was very much. It is still very much an ongoing conversation, and um, our lives are busy. We work together now. You know, we like she's a model, so she. Her agent will sometimes call and say, I've got a, an advert for, and they're casting for a same-sex couple. Were you and Shah? And, you know, we've done five commercials this year. You are literally... So I'm just going to take a pause and, like, fangirl for, like, two seconds and we'll go back. <laughs> uh, but, like, you're literally both amazing. Like, I've seen, like, some of your, like, photos and bits and pieces and they're incredible. Anyway, that's done. Carry on, please. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, working with her is amazing. But, you know... I'm light sensitive and being on set is loud and so having her be confident and beautiful and look after me is in one sense really inspiring and in another sense really vulnerable and really anxiety building because I have to put my safety in her hands and she's great she'll go and she'll talk to the director and she'll say hey my my partner's autistic if there's at any point we can turn the light off or if we don't if we're not needed on set if we can't be on set and you know she might want to wear you know she bought me these ear defenders (laughs) i've got them actually i'm I'm getting them (laughs) please do i'd like to see them oh they're mate they're yellow Mm-hmm. Oh, awesome! Oh, wow, have you found fa- have you found that they've helped? Yeah, I love it. Nice. Even it's just if there's, I can be in my bedroom and if the TV's on in two different rooms, I can hear it all. I'm very sort of yeah. audio centric, so I sort of hear things. And if I want to read, it's just nice to. Obviously, so in that in that setting, well, you said that it's sort of like an ongoing sort of navigation with your partner. I just wonder if in a in a professional setting as well, with the work that you do, is it a constant sort of coming out as well um, to present that to people for professionally or to navigate that? It's been a huge journey for me because I made a conscious decision when I was diagnosed not to tell anybody. Mm. and not to do anything about it when my partner at the time sort of said I think you might be autistic I was offended my understanding of autism was so ignorant and limited that I thought well I'm not rain man so I'm not autistic and don't make don't take the piss out of me basically (laughs) don't you know don't so when I learned about autism I learned how important it is to especially as a woman, especially as a woman of colour, especially as a queer woman of colour, especially as a mixed queer woman of colour, with all of that intersectionality, I learned how, again, important it was for me to be visible. Mm-hmm. And I sort of thought, do you know what? If people don't want to have a coach who's autistic because they have a stigma about autism, that's exactly the reason why I need to talk about being a coach who's autistic because I... I've worked really hard at what I do and for, for for lack of a want to be egotistic, I know that I have made a difference to people who I've connected with genuinely and I'm not going to allow a stigma 
to prevent me from doing that and to prevent people who potentially have a similar skill set that I do because of their autism from not being able to pursue that work because I think autistic people are incredibly intuitive and gifted and we should be in those settings there shouldn't be a barrier because of the stigma so Mm. if Mm. one other person thinks do you know what I want to do that I want them to say yeah Shah's a life coach Shah's a host Shah does that she's autistic why can't I yeah and I'm not expecting you to be sort of the poster person for all of this um, information but do you think that there are ways in which people can make spaces more welcoming for people with autism mm. um, and people that are on on that spectrum be that like you say professionally to sort of welcome people in um, or any situations that you've been in yourself whereby you might have been um, whereby you might have, have had to ask for something to happen that you think might have just been better if it was already that way to make it more welcoming for you and other people like you I think because autism affects everybody different I would say if you've met one autistic person you've met one autistic person there's you know there's a spectrum mm. to the scale mm. yeah of course but I think in general it's about the mindset that people have around people who have autism it's usually, if I make a request, it's not the fact that people won't receive the quest. It's the way that they receive the information. I'll often ask for something to be written down and someone will say, I've just told you. And I'll say, but it, it, I receive that information better through reading it. So I think it's more, not so much in the things that we do before the event, but maybe in our openness and our attitude to that level of accessibility and being accommodating. I think sometimes Mm. people think people who have different needs are being difficult. And that that in itself, that feeling of putting somebody out, being a burden, that can make that, to me, that's more damaging than not having the need. I don't want to ever feel like I'm being tolerated or I'm putting somebody out or I'm purposely, you know, being awkward. I, I hate the idea of having to repetitively apologise for my existence. Yeah, you don't want Gosh, anyone to yeah. also to make you feel like you're being difficult for simply asking for what you need. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because it's so important. Like, you should just be able to say, hi, this is, I need to be able to do this thing. And in order to be able to do this thing, I need for X, Y, Z to be in place. Okay, cool. Let's just. But in answer to your it. question, I've never been in that situation because. I don't allow myself, so I won't go to the event. If I've been booked for speaking events and not received the information in the way that I've needed it to, and I've been very clear about what my needs have been, if they haven't met those needs, I won't put myself in a situation where I'm vulnerable to burnout or meltdown because I've learned (laughs) that it's not worth my peace. It's not worth my patience, and it doesn't benefit the people who I interact with when I'm there if I'm not comfortable. Me and Mel are totally going to fangirl as soon as this conversation ends. You can be sure we'll run down the stairs and be like, ah! I'm going to do the same. I'm going to run downstairs to Grace and I'm going to be like, I love Nancy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, we're here. We're at your final conversation, Shah. It's it's been a journey and we're we're just having such a great time. But um, if you want to go ahead and introduce your final conversation. Okay. So my final difficult conversation... um, And in fact, it hasn't just been one conversation, it's been multiple conversations that I've had over this year. And I say conversations, but they haven't been conversations in the sense of speaking to people. It's been the DMs that I've been getting about Black Lives Matter and All Lives Matter and 
I'm not racist because my sister's cousin's black and just the conversations that I've had because people have seen that I'm the person who's open to education and open to sharing and I don't believe in berating people I believe in compassion and I believe in understanding I believe that there's a lot more value to holding space for people and educating however I definitely bit off more than I could chew for part of this year I definitely burnt out I definitely had to get all of my allies and my girlfriend to <laughs> form a fort around me and even they would sort of start like commenting back to people or removing people from my social media because I I've been doing this kind of work in this area for a long time it hasn't just been this year that I've been talking about the Black Lives Matter movement and talking about systematic racism it's not new to me. It's not a new conversation. Uh, I've experienced racism my whole life, whether it's been directly, indirectly, passively, whether it's been through being ignored, excluded or physically attacked. So racism has been a theme in my life. It's not a theme for 2020. It's been something that I have internally battled. And now it has just been that people feel, have felt brave enough to ask me questions and have conversations that I felt really inflammatory. So I think this year I've had the most difficult conversations about race and about my blackness and my Indianness and the validity of it and my queerness. And I've had a lot of things that I've said be questioned and that's been really tough. It's really tough to be, you know, not believed. How do you approach people who because I feel like from what I've seen on social media with people who are especially in the public eye um I feel like some people are willing to cross a bridge and genuinely learn and I think some people are just out for to be like you said inflammatory and how do you distinguish between those people and how do you know when to just block I think in one sense I'm really lucky because I'm very intuitive so I can sort of get a sense of where people are coming from but I've learned to, one, check myself. Am I, irrespective of this person's intention, am I in the right place to have this conversation? Or if it goes badly wrong, am I going to be severely affected? And if I'm good to have the conversation, then I'll be direct and ask their intention. Um, I like to explore. I I practice NLP. I practice the NLP presuppositions. One of the things that we presuppose in NLP is that everyone is trying their best to do good things and everybody wants positive outcomes. Everyone's doing the best with the circumstances that they have or the behaviours that they've learned. So I like to understand. I want to know why somebody thinks the way they think. I want to know what it is that makes them feel as though they can say those things. I want to know what their intentions are. And I think often when I ask somebody directly and, and say that, you know, what you've said is actually very hurtful. Was your intention to cause me as a fellow human being harm and pain? Or what else, what else was your intention? I'm not angry with you. I'm curious to know. And, you know, sometimes I get people just swearing at me and blocking me. And sometimes I get people saying, do you know what? I didn't mean to upset you. 
It was just that this or this and this, I saw this and this and it made me think this and I wanted to talk to you because you seem like you're a person who will talk about it. So I look after myself first, but I think mm. I learned to stand up to bullies a long time ago. I won't allow somebody to belittle me or change my perception of myself with their words. The only way that words have power is because of the meaning that we give to them. So I won't allow somebody to take away my power by giving their words meaning. I might ask them what their meaning was, but usually these people are just people on the internet. I'll always try to value them and educate them, but they're not going to pay my rent or cuddle me at night or, you know, stroke my mm. third eye. So I'll give what I can give and educate where I can. But other than that, if I'm not, you know, engage with you, if you don't resonate with me, I can just block you back. Mm. It does worry me how uh, uh, the internet and the anonymity of the internet seems to embolden people. Yeah, and people's general um, perception that if you have X amount of followers or if you are sort of blue ticked or whatever, that you, you will answer their questions or you will set them straight or you will put your knowledge that you've spent years and years grafting and creating yourself to them. Do you think that because of sort of the, the level of platform that you have on social media, you have to engage with people? Or um, or do you feel free, like you said, to sort of take a step back? I think back in the day, I felt a lot of pressure when like my following grew, was growing, mm. and I was trying to mm. grow my following and, and be part of this community that was part of this conversation. I felt a lot of pressure to interact with people and to answer questions. But I think what I've learned is that my... And everybody else's biggest responsibility is to myself. And I'm very honest about what my needs are and what my capacity is. There might be a time where it will be a Sunday and I'll open up my Instagram and say, let's have a chat about this topic. And there'll be a space for that. But I'm also very open about the times where I'm having burnout and I've taken time off and I'm not available. And I think I'm quite lucky in that Obviously, I get the odd, horrible person who pops up on Instagram, but I don't have, like, followers who are like, where are you? What's happening? Like, you haven't posted. I, mm. I feel like my time's very much respected because of the work that I do. And when I'm not working in the social media work, that doesn't mean that I'm not working. There's so much of the stuff that I do. So I don't feel like I have to go to social media to get validation. I think that's the thing that a lot of people who have big social media accounts, it's not necessarily that they feel like they have to talk to those people because those people need them. Part of it is that they have to speak to those people because they need to keep their account running because that's their business and they need to, you know, they need that validation. They need the likes mm -hmm. to feel good. For me, I use social media to promote the things and the projects that I love and the people that I love and things that are great but that doesn't take away from the work that I'm doing in the real world. Just because I don't show up on social media doesn't mean I'm not showing up in life. So I get real life likes and that works for me. <laughs> real life likes, I like that. Um, in terms of obviously with the Black Lives Matter movement becoming front page this year, specifically, even though people like yourself and like myself, this has been our life for life. Um, lots of people have, going, have been going about their learning and reading books and going to the internet. When you get questions whereby people say, oh, can you educate me on this thing? Are you likely to sort of 
jump in and give them the facts or would you prefer that they sort of go to the internet or go to books and do some learning themselves before they come to you to ask those questions that you get asked like you say in your dms etc i think it depends on you know the question that's being asked mm. i think there are some really obvious things that people should look up i'm not i'm not the encyclopedia you know, no, of course. I'm not going to give you history. But I think if somebody approaches me where they've learned something and they want to have my opinion on it because they value my opinion on a particular subject that they're learning about and they come to me respectfully, if I have the capacity, I think sharing what we've learned as humans is what we're here to do. My mantra is learn, share, repeat. Learn, share, repeat. And that's what I do on a day. I ask myself, who can I help today? And the only way I can help people is with the things that I've learned. So if I'm not open to sharing the things that I've learned, then what was the point in me learning them? I didn't learn them so I could sit here and say, look at me, I know more than everybody. I learned it so I could say, how can I help you? Which bit of this information can I impart so that we can grow together, so that we can understand each other? Because I strongly believe that human connection is the thing that is missing from the earth. And how can we connect if we have this resilient attitude, if we don't open our arms up and say, do you know what, if you're going to have the courage to be vulnerable and say you don't know something and ask me, then I'm going to have the kindness to hold a space for you and tell you the answer, as long as I'm not burnt out. How fucking fabulous. What a fabulous human being. Literally. You like you really are. It's so nice to have these conversations with... with Am I like so what you thought I was different. like on the internet? Yes and no. Like you, you are you. I've I've seen you speak on Instagram Live, so you sound the same, and you are the yeah no yeah you're yeah yeah, yeah no. I think you yeah, just no. yeah, no. <laughs> do you get that from your from your family or people that you have real life likes from? Do they think that you're different? <laughs> do they think that you're different in real life with them as um as opposed to what you're like on the internet? No, I think that I pretty much you get what you see. I guess you yeah. don't get to see my quieter side so much. I guess I don't share as much of my intellectual side or the business that I do. You don't see me, you know, sitting there writing courses and, you know, marking yeah. papers and, you know, writing huge things and being more intellectual. But um, my family would say that I'm eccentric and wild and just kind of bringing the energy so I guess by <laughs> I wish people could see this on the podcast we're all we're all, we're all dancing right now dancing. doing fun dancing my, my sister who's 15 she's she thinks I'm embarrassing and I love that because if I was 15 knowing me I'd think I was embarrassing and I love the idea of that I love the idea of being so wild and eccentric and out there that she just thinks cringe and I'm like yeah some of the work that I do in schools I do workshops around confidence and self-esteem and self-belief and some of the kids I don't call them kids I say young people because they're not kids when they're 15 I was a kid I wasn't a kid when I was 15 I was I was done being a kid I was Mm. on my way to adolescence and I was like like don't call me miss no, they always call you miss because they are so used to having a teacher and I'm like my name's Shah call me Shah and they they always start off with this wall because they're so used to people looking down on them and telling them what to do and telling them who they are or who they should be. And I love the the connection that happens when I walk in and 
you know, I'll have my trainers on with my suit and there'll usually be some sick trainers if I must say so myself. And I'll sit there and I'll have a conversation with them and it'll be about equality. You know, I am, I, I have this experience and I've learned things, but I'm not a saint and I'm not perfect. You're not saints, you're not perfect. But with the experience that I've got, I want to help you. And I know that maybe other people haven't tried to help you or it hasn't seemed like they've tried to help you. But if you want to help you, if you can for a minute forget all the people that said that you're not good enough or you can't do it or you're thick, because that's what they all say, I'm stupid, I'm thickness. And I say, hang on a minute, I've seen you, I've seen your exam results, I've seen you work on iPhone, I've seen you on a computer, you're not thick. And if you tell, if you stop telling yourself that, then nobody else is going to allow that space to be held for you. You can't take on what they said about you just because they believe that about themselves. I'm telling you now that you're not thick. You're amazing. You've got to get on board with me. We're a team. I haven't come here for nothing. I'm like, come on, let's do this. Uh, and, I've, and they're like, but I am thick. And we'll have this uh, conversation. And by the end of the week, they'll have achieved something. And I'll say, thick people can't achieve this. It, whatever you've told yourself, whether you believe it, that's the truth. So think about what you're going to start telling yourself because I'm not going to be here to tell you how friggin' amazing you are every day. You're going to have to start saying it to you. And the way that they go from, you know, not believing in themselves and not thinking that they're worth anything to suddenly being like, do you know what? Forget what Mrs. Smith said last week in my maths class. I ain't worthless. <laughs> I am going to be something. Watch me. And when they get that attitude of like, watch me do it, I'm just like, yes! <laughs> yes! Oh, I, I helped make that happen. I wow. think that's just like the perfect note to end on. I think I, so too. I th feel like everyone who listens to this episode is going to go away being like, watch me. Watch me fly. Watch me. <laughs> I'm going to do it. Thank you so much. You, have you got anything else you want to plug, Sharon, and tell, tell podcast listeners about? Um, no, um, what I would like to tell the podcast listeners is that they need to stay in a peaceful, loving vibration and remember that we are all one. And if you would like to follow me on Instagram, then you can follow me at Shah underscore Bailey underscore. And do it because Gorgeous. it's the most amazing and positive in the best possible way and light bringing platform it's wonderful and even if you don't follow me just look inside yourself and follow yourself because you know I don't have all the answers but what I do love to do is try and help people see how amazing they are so even if you don't follow me at least try and you know look inside yourself and figure out how awesome you are because my tagline on my website says the future is in there because we always look to the world to figure out where we're supposed to go. But first place we need to look is inside of ourselves to figure out who we are and what we can do. So that. Completely. Absolutely. This has been Open House with Mel Lowe and Clancy Ryan. Music by Glenn Clark. Music by Glenn Clark.